Hello, gigantic crowd of people. Hello, everyone. Oh, I'm so glad to have you all here. Uh, my name's Libba Beecham. I'm the director of operations at the Northeast Georgia History Center, all the way up in Gainesville, Georgia. So why am I here today? Well, we were very fortunate to receive an invitation from uh, Fort Frederica to come down and do a live podcast episode with y'all. This is our first live podcast recording. Very exciting. And our podcast is called Then Again. And we explore a lot of different historical topics with topic experts, everything from world history to local history. And we just so happen to have two fans of our <laughs> podcast listen in and learn that we have fantastic living history interpreters for James Oglethorpe and Mary Musk. Grove, uh, Richard Burke and Nicole Castorano. And so I'm really thankful that we had this invitation to come share the wonderful living history interpretation from both Richard and Nicole and get to explore even more of the history. You see, at the Northeast Georgia History Center, our exhibits are about the region, the Northeast Georgia history uh, and Northeast Georgia's history. But our educational programs go far beyond the Georgia mountains, and we are our community's resource for history education at large. And so we do portrayals of James Oglethorpe and Mary Musgrove and others that students are studying in their classrooms and that teachers are also in need of great resources. And the core of our educational programming is living history, which I know all the folks here at Fort Frederica are very familiar with. But if you are not familiar with living history, that means first person living history. You are going to be portraying that particular person or character so today, when you saw Richard portray uh, General Oglethorpe and Nicole as Mary Musgrove, that was first-person interpretation. But if you went on the awesome tour that Jarrett gave, that would be third-person interpretation. He is in the historically accurate uniform, but he's still Jarrett telling you about the history rather than being someone of the colonial era, for instance. So as you can see from the photos we've got going on the screen, we do a lot of living history educational programs. Uh, I myself, I I am our official Juliet Gordon Lowe, um, although I am not 60 years old, but I know quite a lot about Juliet Lowe, and so I get to dress up as her and portray her for school groups, not only in our community, but across Georgia, and certainly during the pandemic, across the country when we uh, did our virtual programs. And so at the Northeast Georgia History Center, we're very fortunate to have a digital studio in-house, which is why we produce a podcast while we can do virtual programs. Both Richard and Nicole are not only, uh, this is not their only role. Richard has portrayed uh, many characters mm -hmm. for us, including quite treasonous characters as well. <laughs> um, he has portrayed Benedict Arnold. I like had it at the tip of my tongue. He's portrayed Benedict Arnold for us. And Nicole has portrayed Sacagawea for us or Sacagawea. And of course, Mary Musgrove and General Oglethorpe. So today I would love to dive into a conversation with these guys about living history and how Fort Frederica and the Northeast Georgia History Center bring history to life uh, through living history interpretation. So first of all, why don't we just go around and uh, I've introduced myself. Uh, why don't we start with Nicole? Just give mm -hmm. us a little introduction and your, your first foray into uh, living history education. Sure. So um, my name is Nicole Castorino. I've lived in Georgia for almost 20 years. I'm originally from Indiana. I am Lipan Apache, Native American. So I love history. I like learning about the different roles. There's not 
a lot that we typically learn in school about Native Americans and especially women. So it's been really, and I'm an actress, so um, I'm not a historian, I'm an actress and I've had to learn about her before playing Mary Musgrove. I did not, I didn't even know who she was. I did know more about Sacagawea, but it's been really interesting um, and utilizing my acting skills in a completely different way with living history. Thanks, Nicole. And Richard? Yeah, um, I'm Richard Burke. I'm a lifelong Georgia native. Um, my family's actually, we've, we've traced my family to North Georgia since about 1690. Oh. So we, we, we've been here for a while. Some of my, my earliest memories, you know, my dad has this this huge co collection of books from you know, on you know, the Civil War, World War II, you know, various other things. And when I was young, our, our family vacations would be touring Civil War battlefields. So I... I got deeply immersed in the love of history from a very early age, and it's something that stuck with me pr pretty much all my life. You know, so far as Oglethorpe goes, I'm essentially self-taught. I've, you know, I've read extens extensively. There, there used to be a fellow who uh, uh, he'd go around to schools and other reenactments and everything, you know, portraying General Oglethorpe, and he and I had some very, very deep diving conversations, and that's proven to be quite useful to me. Like Nicole, I also love to act. So, unlike her, I haven't actually made a lot of money at it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it's in my blood. Yeah, yeah. And Jared, why don't you introduce yourself for our audience who, who might not know you? Yeah, absolutely. So, my name's uh, Jared, or here at the park, Ranger Jared. I'm a park ranger here at Fort Federica. Uh, been here about six months. I've done living history at about three national park sites. Uh, this is my third one. And uh, it's just a lot of fun being part of uh, Fort Fericus history. It's, you know, a fort from 1736, about the most southern point of the British colonies. So, uh, you know, on a Saturday or special events like the Oglethorpe's birthday, I'm dressing up as a 42nd Regiment uh, of the Foot Soldier here to help protect the general and the colony of Georgia and really the, the British colonies here. So it's always a lot of fun. You know, shooting off muskets, firing off a cannon, or even, you know, creating canoes, cooking, any of that stuff just to gather uh, people's attention here at Fort Federica. Thanks. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you, you mentioned the, now, is it proper to say costume? Or is this a uniform? How would you, <laughs> how would so you hear about that? So, I like to say working here, uh, I have two costumes. Uh -huh. I have the park ranger uniform, and then I uh, go into the alter ego, and that's being a soldier, mm -hmm. part of the 42nd Regiment mm -hmm. Foot. So I like to say two uniforms. And Richard and Nicole both have mm -hmm. uh, their their costumes as well. Mm -hmm. um, historically, historic accuracy is a really big part of living history. And so, mm -hmm. Richard, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uniform that you have on? I yeah, think well, that people uh, would love to know. Yeah, the you know the uniform is you know for for the most part it is you know standard British red, which has been the uniform of the British Army since the, about 1645 with Oliver Cromwell. Uh, you've got the cuffs and the lapels, or that color could change from regiment to regiment. Royal regiments would have uh, royal blue facings. Mine is what they call gosling green, which is you know, kind of a kind of a mint green, and that's the primary way where you could tell which regiment a soldier served in. Very good, and of course you've got some accoutrements, some accessories oh, yes. uh, to really uh, build out yes. the entire uniform. Mm -hmm. Of course, I've got you know, my. My baldric here, which from which my sword would hang. You know, I'm also uh, wearing 
the the brass gorget or gorget if you're British. This is probably the, the last piece of armor from the days of knights. Mm -hmm. This would uh, for a knight, this would be the piece that would protect his throat. But now it's primarily a status symbol. It's something that an officer would wear. So if you're looking for whoever is in charge, you look for the man wearing the gorget. And I'm also wearing kind of a, a, a wine red sash, which identifies me as an officer on duty. Oh, very so, good. And so, I mean, I think that just speaks to how even everything that you're wearing mm -hmm. is an opportunity for someone to learn about all the details, the symbolism. Oh, yes. mm -hmm. And part of that with Nicole's costume being Mary Musgrove is that it really is a blend of her two cultures. Yeah. Sorry, I changed already. But, <laughs> no um, yeah, I think the different tribes and different areas and different climates were um, very different clothing. Mm -hmm. um, I had different regalia. And then you guys said, no, nope, that's not what Mary would wear. <laughs> so um, mm -hmm. they were able to um, fit me. But uh, I think it was a mixture of the calicos and the cloth that they brought mm -hmm. over from Europe. Um, still probably wearing some type of moccasin or leather, um, tying tying that in. But the the beads, the beaded work mm -hmm. is, um, came from Europe, but the natives really adopted that fashion yeah, so it's a great way to immediately have a visual representation of the culture, of the time period. Of course, a lot of our audiences, I'm sure here at Fred Frederica mm -hmm. as well, are going to be younger audiences. And I love engaging uh, mm -hmm. kids in living history. And there are so many great stories about the questions that they will ask and their <laughs> curiosities. And of course... That can also be a challenge. Do we mm -hmm. know what James Oglethorpe's favorite color was? I don't know. <laughs> we could maybe I have guess a guess. I would say red. I would say red. it an awful lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those kind of experiences also give us opportunities mm -hmm. to learn even more. I know that mm -hmm. uh, in in the characters I, I've portrayed, uh, for instance, I remember being asked if uh, if Juliet Gordon Lowe, founder of Girl Scouts, if she liked waffles. <laughs> and, mm. and, you know, I, I could make an educated guess knowing mm. that she had uh, traveled around Europe and mm -hmm. perhaps had, had tried some Belgian or German cuisines uh, uh, yes. th that would be similar to waffles today. But mm -hmm. it's those kind of moments where every single field trip, every single program mm -hmm. uh, leads you on a different path. And I'm mm -hmm. curious to know what, <laughs> what paths have the kids led y'all on to learn more about your characters? Well, one of my personal favorites is one of the first questions I would ask is is my hair real oh yes <laughs> yep yes it is yes quite very authentic <laughs> the most authentic piece yeah <laughs> what about you nicole um they look at me pretty strangely when i say that i had three husbands <laughs> just not at the same time right right and they all died <laughs> so um they look at me like maybe i'm some evil person a little suspicious there but of course then what do they learn they learned that um, sickness and mm -hmm. illness was hard to fight off in those days, yeah. and luckily I did make it, but my two of my husbands didn't, and all the children that I tried yeah. to have didn't make it. So. Yeah, yeah, and so, I mean, that just brings the point that mm -hmm. the kids, you know, we want to follow their curiosities wherever they lead, and that includes the, the tougher parts of mm -hmm. life back then. And so, uh, Jared, I'm curious to know about the fun questions that you've gotten from the kiddos here at Fort Frederica. Yeah, the biggest one is uh, when they see our hats, the tricorn, they always think we're part of the pirates or pirates uh, of the Caribbean. Oh, yes. <laughs> so uh, it's always a fun thing to say that Frederica was really after the age of pirates, and, like, you know, this mm -hmm. is like wearing a baseball cap today. So mm -hmm. uh, it's always funny to hear them say, like, oh, there's a pirate, and then we have to go into, oh, we're actually British colonists. 
we're respected, mm-hmm. all that. So that's always the fun comment we get. I mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so preparing for y'all's, your role, uh, of course, that takes a whole lot of research. And there's also the considerations of how are you going to portray them, their personalities mm-hmm. and the language that you use, maybe even mannerisms that you use. And so I guess we could, we could start with, with you here as far as the third person interpretation goes. For rangers here, what kind of methods of research and resources do y'all use uh, or have even available here, perhaps even for the public, to learn even more about uh, the colonial era here in Fort Frederica? Yeah, so one of the best resources we have is actually we have a ton of primary resources in our library. We have the Georgia Colonial Records that we're able to use primary source wow. resources to help give information to the public if it's questions or anything like that. Or we've actually had colonial groups come in that are part of other living history groups go through our colonial records to make sure their outfits and our outfits are historically correct. Wow. So that's the biggest resource we have. Other things is to always make sure when people ask questions that we can update our information to be more, you know, to modern Mm -hmm. times, to Mm -hmm. make sure it's what people really want to understand. We have those answers to help them uh, along with our different uniforms and other such that's fascinating to have primary mm-hmm. resources from oh, yes. that era. So uh, is there a particular uh, resource or document that you want to share that sort of exemplifies how unique these are, how rare they might be, or how useful they are for research? Yeah, the biggest one is we have some of John Wesley's letters here. Wow. Uh, yeah. Between him, he was up in Savannah, Charles is down here at Frederica. And then when John is here, he's sending letters over to England. Those letters have produced us, allow us to tell us some of the most more funny stories that <laughs> happened at a colonial town due to fighting within the colonists. Just unfortunate events that happen in every American town. We can look at John Wesley, what he really thought of some of the people here at Frederica. <laughs> oh, you got to share one one short story, mm-hmm. a funny story of some sort. What, what, what's one that you can share with us? Oh, yeah. I mean, the most famous one is John Wesley. He comes in contact with the doctor's wife, Mrs. Hawkins, here. When John arrives here to Fort Frederica, Hawkins calls him into his house. And supposedly, they've had other run-ins in the past that went negatively. And she pulls a pistol and a pair of scissors on him and claims that she'll either have his heart or have his blood. And uh, she is formally arrested after that. Uh, That's one of our more favorite stories to tell. Because John Wesley, you know, founder of the Methodist Church, pretty famous to people, at least here in Georgia and other places. It's always funny to tell that side of his life too. I'm sure he expected mm-hmm. challenges, but that's one, that's pretty surprising mm-hmm. I would I would expect. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So Richard, when you were diving in, uh, in the beginning of your mm-hmm. research with Oglethorpe, did you already, had you already had opportunities to learn about him and colonial life here or was it kind of new for you? I had, I, I'd learned the basics, but you know, diving in makes me realize just what a really interesting person he was. I, I get the feeling that it, it took him a, a while to really find his calling because mm-hmm. I mean, he was pretty much an, an indifferent student. Yeah. In, in Parliament, he, for the first several years, he was basically a, a backbencher and very seldom actually got up and spoke and everything. He developed a, a love for the military pretty early on. And then, you know, when you know, his, his best friend dies in, in debtor's prison, that is like a laser beam to focus all of his energy. And he became just like this this human tidal wave, just brushing aside in everything in his path. And learning about that 
that particular moment, what resources did you utilize? Uh, did, were there any primary sources, like sort of hearing his own voice and his letters or other writings that you could? I, I haven't read any primary sources about that particular instance, mm-hmm. but many of the, the letters that he wrote back to the trustees after he, he got to Savannah, there's one where you know, he talks about, you know, so it's so great here in, it's here in America. I mean, the winters are, are mild and the summers are cooled by these by these cool ocean breezes. And I'm thinking, have you been in Savannah in August? <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. <laughs> trying to make it sound a little bit better, get those settlers to come oh, over yes. here, maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but uh, also, uh, when you had a group of, like, 19 uh, Jewish people who came from England, first to South Carolina, they weren't really welcome there. Then they hopped over the river to, to Georgia, Savannah at the time was in the middle of a yellow fever epidemic. And, you know, one of these uh, Jewish settlers was was a doctor who helped out tremendously battling the epidemic. And so in in gratitude to the service that they provided, he, you know, gave them all uh, properties of, of land, which did not sit very well with the, the, with the trustees mm. back in England. I see, yeah. Okay. But, you know, Oglethorpe ba- basically says, well, yeah, we're... 3,000 miles away, I'm actually the one here, so tough. Yeah. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. And, and so, like, you've gotten to learn uh, a, a lot about him through mm. your research. Is there anything that really surprised you or that you just weren't expecting in the research? I, I, I kind of knew that he was a sort of a, a my way or the highway kind of person, but it, it kind of surprised me that he seemed frequently to have a little trouble delegating authority. Mm. Was he I mean, a micromanager in a way? <laughs> I, I think he kind of was. I mean, he he missed most of the Battle of Bloody Marsh because he felt you know, he needed to bring reinforcements from Frederica. So rather than sending one of his lieutenants or something back to get him while he directed the battle, he said, no, I have to do it myself. And so and, I would imagine that kind of attitude informs the way that you portray mm-hmm. Oglethorpe. Uh, yeah. How has that developed over time? Because you've been portraying Oglethorpe yeah. for years now. I try to bring across his supreme confidence that not only is what what I am doing right, but failure is just just does not enter into the picture. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you know, like I say, you know, he, he missed the Battle of Bloody Marsh. On the other hand, you know, he led the charge at Gully Hole Creek and personally captured one of the two Spanish captains. Oh, wow. wow. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, excellent. And, and so, Nicole, with, with Mary Musgrove, like you said, you're coming from a background uh, as an actress and you've learned the history of, of uh, your own culture and everything, but coming here and learning about Mary Musgrove's two different cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about what do you, first of all, I know that you've been very inspired by Mary Musgrove yes. and just fascinated by mm-hmm. her. Just what's the takeaway after learning so much about her that, what is that inspiring thing about her? What do you admire most about her? That she was a businesswoman yeah. and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And in those times when women just tended to the home and the children and the families, she was making money. She mm-hmm. was actually being paid by Oglethorpe in Sterling. And that's just, that's pretty amazing to me. I I do portray her in Sacagawea and I definitely resonate with her more than I do. Yeah. Sacagawea, she was a very young right. lady and there's, um, it's amazing with her. There's such a short time period of documentation on her. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning more and more about Mary Musgrove. I just bought a 
a biography here. This, um, so, but I, there's more detail on her. There's more written about her. So I'm looking forward to diving in more, but I just found it really unique that she was such, so well-respected as a businesswoman um, and the relationship that she had with the chief and the general. It's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jared, from your point of view, you know, if Mary Musgrove was out of the picture. I mean, that would have changed quite a oh, lot. Yes. Now, of course, and in rich everybody, feel free to mm-hmm. chime in. But as a as our Fort Frederica representative, can mm-hmm. you just share with our audience how invaluable Mary Musgrove was to the entire colony at this time? Oh yeah, I mean, settling Georgia peacefully, especially this time period, is really rare compared to the other Northern Twelve mm-hmm. colonies. And without the communication aspect of Mary Musgrove, what she was able to do to communicate with the Creek and the British here was, you know, it couldn't have happened without her. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, gaining the relationship with Tamachichi, who is the chief of the Yamakra in Savannah. Building that relationship wouldn't have happened without John and Mary Musgrove. And then one of the more important things that the Creek chiefs did were signing the treaty between Oglethorpe and the Creek for the British to settle here on St. Simon's Island. Also, it committed Creek warriors to help defend the British colonies uh, mm-hmm. from the Spanish. And Mary Musgrove has actually helped to gather up over 100 Creek warriors to head down to St. Augustine, Florida to attack the Spanish. And then also, mm-hmm. when the Spanish attacked here in 1742, they're here to help protect the fort. So it would either mm-hmm. be run over by the Spanish or there would have been some sort of war that would have broken out between the British. Mm-hmm. The creek, yam across somebody, uh, you know, without Mary Musgrove. And I am of diverse background, mm-hmm. so just knowing that she was um, of two heritages then and now, it's it's funny. You still have to bridge those gaps sometimes yeah. and learn two cultures. And you, I think you have a broader just view of people in general. I think that would have been extremely valuable to her, not only as an interpreter, a translator, but, mm-hmm. you know, she's in a, in, a, in a way a kind of ambassador, a diplomat, oh, a, yes. a mediator. And yeah, and, I, yeah. and you know, her, her family connections made her already well respected among the Creek. Yes. And mm-hmm. so respected among the Creek, respected among uh, the new settlers and the colonists. Um, I heard she was she was qu- quite an excellent hostess as well. Mm-hmm. And and so that also brings me to think about just her as a, a woman, uh, similar to Sakagawea. You know, Sakagawea was one woman among 40-ish men, mm-hmm. and her just her mere presence was a symbol or a way to communicate, mm-hmm. we come in peace. Otherwise, a war party would not have a woman, or especially mm-hmm. a young woman with a baby. And mm-hmm. so her, Mary Musgrove's role as a woman, I wonder how that was also a great advantage to Oglethorpe. Um, Jared, do you have anything to to share on that reflection uh, as far as her role as a woman in this? Yeah, I mean, what we know of when she was in the town, she actually honeymoons during mm-hmm. I her second marriage here. And one of the special things that people uh, is that supposedly the whole town went to her wedding. Mm-hmm. So she was really well liked here in town with that uh, symbolism there. And so just having that presence of communication, but also kind of that like people did really respect her mm-hmm. and support her. Mm-hmm. So I think just knowing that what happened here at the town was really cool and adds to it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
And of course, her work as working as a businesswoman and negotiating mm-hmm. quite a lot and negotiating fairly, uh, mm-hmm. that's also going to be a valuable skill set in mitigating arguments or especially mm-hmm. b- between the men. I think that, you know, it, yeah, right. And, and to have to have a, a woman's presence there may have been a feminine touch may have been really valuable, mm-hmm. especially at that time for these kind of negotiations. And so with the the story of uh, James Oglethorpe and Mary Musgrove, we know that they had a very close friendship. Mm-hmm. And, and what do we know about their friendship and their respect for one or one another? How do we know that they had that friendship? Is it through primary well, sources or yeah, uh, you know, primary sources you know, indicate that you know Oglethorpe was even a, a dinner guest in Mary's house many many times. Mm-hmm. So that kind of tells me that their relationship was more than just professional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they actually enjoyed each other's company. Yeah, yeah. He gave me a ring off his very finger. Mm-hmm. That's right. Before yes. leaving back to Europe. So. Mm-hmm. Quite a, quite a symbol of, of friendship, but also I think, um, I think Oglethorpe surely knew Mary Musgrove's value because mm-hmm. he was working alongside her, but... 3,000 miles away over in England, the trustees mm-hmm. did not necessarily have the oh. same opinion. <laughs> oh, yes. The, if, it, if it had been left up to the trustees, I think Georgia probably would have devolved into the old British aristocracy would have risen almost immediately. And, you know, you would have had difficulty with the Native Americans almost from the beginning because they had they had no clue. They, they were 3,000 miles away and no idea of what kind of people that they're dealing with here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they didn't have a sense of the context. Mm -hmm. And so they couldn't really know how valuable Mary Musgrove was, Mm -hmm. uh, especially, I would imagine, uh, that her being a woman would also take, Mm -hmm. take part in that, not appreciating her as much. But, Jared, what do we know about Mary Musgrove's life and General Oglethorpe's life? That We know that they, they arrive here. Of course, General Oglethorpe arrives here mm-hmm. in, in the 1730s. Mary Musgrove had already been here. But near the end of Oglethorpe's time here, it seems like there was a the colony was pretty successful. Mm-hmm. But we see that once the general leaves, things things do change. Can you speak to, or, or you know, either jump yeah, in, but ahead. can you yeah. speak to, was that simply because Oglethorpe was mm-hmm. not there to facilitate and steward the, the vision? Yeah, so, I mean, Oglethorpe leaving doesn't help the colony yeah. in any way. Because mm-hmm. yeah. every time he has, because he leaves several times in mm-hmm. the 10 years that he's here, and every time he leaves, he comes back, and there's more of a mess he has to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so when he does finally leave in 1743, Savannah is definitely going through a changing period. Now, it stays a trustee colony up until the early 1750s, but there's still plenty of qualms of people wanting more land, Mm -hmm. wanting enslaved people Mm -hmm. to start this plantation life. And when Oglethorpe is here, he's spending a lot more time at Frederica because Savannah is having just more problems, more people. Mm -hmm. And so as he does leave, you know, Mary Musgrove gets into, she's promised land, Mm St. Catherine's Island and some other places. Well, that never really comes to fruition and I'd like to think it's one of the reasons because Oglethorpe leaves. Mm, mm-hmm. And so just some of those promises made by the British government to Mary and to others don't be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, five years later, the War of Jenkins' Year ends in 1748. Frederica starts to go away as a settlement in 1749. 
And that military presence that was here of Oglethorpe and other military people starts to go away and there's less control from that British government here, Mm -hmm. which plays into the part of why Georgia changes into a plantation colony and changes the idea of what Oglethorpe really set out to do. Mm -hmm. So it's successful up until, I'd like to say, 1750. And then seven years after Oglethorpe leaves, it kind of just unravels. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it brings to mind, you know, it's something that's really remarkable in Georgia history to have had this success of a a more egalitarian Mm -hmm. society, peaceful relationship with uh, the Native Americans at the time. Mm -hmm. And yet it is so short-lived, unfortunately. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, what was... After Oglethorpe leaves, we know he lives quite a long life <laughs> up until his 80, yeah. late 80s. Um, was he able to at least keep tabs or, or you know, like still have a, any kind of role? Or at least did he attempt to have any kind of role to continue that vision? I, I don't really think he had like a, well, he completely left politics. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. But uh, he, he started having these you know intellectual salons in his home. And he... Hmm. he he gathered, you know, some of the the brightest you know, people that he knew or that he'd heard of, and he just gathered them get together and like just talk. Very, it he, sounds like a very Enlightenment era uh, party going. Oh yes, yeah. I, I think he did try to influence things that way, and uh, he was very much in favor of the American Revolution. That may surprise some people. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I I was surprised when I when I learned that. Why do you Why do you think that is? I kind of think that. You know, in, in spite of his privileged upbringing, he's, he always did have a kind of, if I might say so, like a stick-it-to-the-man mm. mentality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that the American Revolution was like the ultimate, you know, finger in the eye to the, to the aristocracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so with Mary Musgrove's life later on, we know that, as we mentioned before, she, her third husband, he lived a healthier mm-hmm. life, it seems. And that was the, the Reverend Thomas Bosomworth. And so being married to the Reverend Bosomworth is also, you are, I mean, Mary Musgrove already had great reputation, but that's also going to elevate her status as well. Mm-hmm. And so what do we know about Mary Musgrove's life once James Oglethorpe has left? We know that eventually she's going to get St. Catherine's Island, but there's a lot of dispute over that. Jared or Nicole, if you want to chip in with what, what we do know about her life after James Oglethorpe leaves. I'm not too sure. No. After he leaves. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, after she leaves, she keeps up the trading posts Mm -hmm. uh, and really more concentrates her time more along the Savannah River Mm -hmm. instead of being here. Uh, Frederica, she only spends about a month here total. So really more that's the focus. And then um, just doing that businesswoman type of work Mm -hmm. while she's being here. Uh, Still, I believe, still working with translating and being that person as an interpreter. For the Methodists in particular. Now, was that before... Oglethorpe or what? After. After? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After. Okay, so yep. her work with her husband. Yes, yeah, so I continued. So with Thomas Bosomworth, we worked with John Wesley and we tried to teach the natives about the Methodism ways and we tried to teach the Europeans about the native ways. So still trying to blend those cultures and teach each other. <laughs> It's funny, I, I, I get in the habit of saying I and we as well when we're, like, when I'm Juliella or Rosie oh, the yes. River or whoever, I'm sure that happens to, to, to you 
happens. All the time. <laughs> yeah, I love when when Richard will will call me for a question. He's still in his James Oglethorpe uh, accent <laughs> okay. on the cell phone. Very fun. But yes, yes. So she she goes on mm-hmm. in more missionary work, but still very much an interpreter mm-hmm. and utilizing that role as as a as a mediator, cultural mediator. And so, you know, the the story of Fort Frederica, I know that, uh, Jarrett, you mentioned on your tour that it, this this once very vibrant town, it, it kind of disappears. And when did the Fort Frederica start, or archaeologists start uncovering the remnants of the town? And how, what was the trajectory of that effort? I mean, how much effort did that, did that really take? Yeah, it took a lot of effort, and it really started in 1903 with the Colonial oh, wow. Games of America. They're able to protect the King's Magazine, which is right where the fort was, and then the Barracks Tower. And then 1945, they're able to give that over to the National Park Service. And then about 1948, 1950 is when they actually start digging up all the foundations here. And the busiest period was about 1950 to the early 1960s. That's where they created, uh, refound Broad Street, Barracks Tower, and several of the King's magazine buildings. And then over the past 50 years, uh, we've uncovered more artifacts, currently working on the Sinclair Tavern today, which is one of the largest structures here at Fort Frederica. It was a three-story inn and tavern. So Mm -hmm. it's uh, supposedly, we, according to our archaeologists, we've only really uncovered about five to 10%. And so over, you know, every decade or so, we're hoping to add uh, to our exhibits out there. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of the exhibits, uh, the museum here on site at Fort Frederica is is wonderful. It's very approachable to uh, both kids and adults, which I love. And you get to really see these uh, awesome artifacts up close. And I love artifacts that are just everyday items mm-hmm. of the period. So we're seeing beautiful buttons or the plates or the, the fork or spoon they use. When I went to uh, the place where Mary Musgrove had stayed for a bit uh, just to see the the spoon there just did she use it I don't know but it's so cool to just know that Mm -hmm. these people were right here and so I really commend uh, Fort Frederica and the rangers here um, and everyone the volunteers and team for preserving and sharing uh, its history uh, for inviting us Mm -hmm. down here uh, to share our podcast and our wonderful uh, interpreters and I wanted to uh, conclude Jarrett by asking what would you what is what is the main thing that you want people to take away whenever they visit Fort Frederica? What do you want them to leave with? Yeah, the biggest thing is that, you know, Fort Frederica, obviously it's a historical area, but it's also a huge opportunity for education of archaeology. We have a great school program where we work with local schools, bring them in. They can, we have digs set up uh, where our first archaeologists put all of our old artifacts. So kids can actually dig through and find first artifacts that were original to the site. And so, you know, we love teaching the history of the British colonial history. We also have African-American uh, history here as well. Mr. Robert Abbott, who was born here on the island, creator of the Chicago Defender. So I think the biggest thing to take away is that, you know, it looks like a town of a thousand people what's left, but there's so much more of this place. And really that's the story of a lot of colonial places and a lot of state museums, national parks. It's like, mm-hmm. we love telling that big story, but if you can add in the three, mm-hmm. two or three other things, you get hands on. You can just learn so much more about just one site in particular. 
Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for inviting us here. It really was oh, uh, yes. such a pleasure thank to be you. here. Yeah. Thank and you. You know, thank you for coming here. We're so happy. You know, General could celebrate your birthday. Yes. And Mary Musgrove oh, yes. could come. Mm-hmm. And yes. Have this great opportunity. And so I'd, I'd love if anybody has questions about mm-hmm. living history interpretation, Fort Frederica, mm-hmm. the Northeast Georgia History Center. Any questions for our interpreters today? Uh, feel yes, free. You had mentioned that uh, living history is particularly well received by children. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, if we if we take a look at these photos up here, you know, uh, the kids, they're going to immediately be fascinated and curious about what you're wearing. I mean, even when Jarrett was talking mm-hmm. about, they might think immediately he's a pirate. And so they're going to come up and, and ask questions. But the second they learn that, oh, no, 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 this is this is not what they were expecting, mm-hmm. then you are engaging in their curiosity. And I think that, you know, at least, and I'm sure y'all feel the same way, that at the Northeast Georgia History Center, it's really not about these kids getting the exact dates and the mm-hmm. exact names. And it's really about planting that seed of curiosity for them to especially mm-hmm. continue to explore on their own. Because kids, you know, there's going to be concepts that are just difficult for them to mm-hmm. comprehend, obviously. But by, by by inciting their curiosity early on, but the time they're mature enough and can really comprehend the complexities of history, the challenges, it allows them to to, to have that deeper connection, I think. Mm-hmm. And bringing the material culture, oh, yeah. as we call mm-hmm. it, the clothing, the, yeah. uh, the, the tools, the equipment, it's all things they can really have an impression. You know, they get mm-hmm. to feel and interact yeah. with history. Were you inspired by living historians when you were younger? You know, I actually was. Uh, when I think back, I grew up in theater. So similar to Nicole, my background is in performance and theater. And I was really fortunate to just <laughs> working at a coffee shop in uh, in college. One of the directors of a local museum uh, invited me to volunteer. And my f- <laughs> my very first role was portraying a, uh, a nurse during a yellow fever fever epidemic, Uh, actually. (laughs) And so it introduced me to the concept of, wow, I can utilize these performance Mm -hmm. skills in an educational context. And that was when I really found that, oh, wow, I'm actually interested in history Mm -hmm. because why do I love theater? It's storytelling. And that's exactly what history is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for for me, most people that I I have known throughout my life, you know, when they complain, well, you know, history is just so boring. It's just a bunch of names and dates. By, by doing this, I'm trying to give an impression that this is a real person. This this is a personality here. You know, he has his likes. He has his dislikes. He has his, you know, he has his faults. He has the things he does really well. This is a real person. Yeah. And that's that's one of the main things that I try to get across. Absolutely. And, and I, so, yeah. so my wife and I'm sorry. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah. yeah. My wife and I have so mm-hmm. we like them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are you are you different when you're dealing with a adult audience than when you have child audience? When you when you're thinking of yourself I, and your character? I, I am. I, I I try to keep my my vocabulary a little bit limited so that <laughs> I'm not going over their heads too much. And I I just you know, I try to appeal to that their their personalities. Try to you know, just. Try to get them to to think a little bit. With younger children, you're trying to get across ideas, not just facts. 
And so I think one part of that is having integrating activities. Mm -hmm. So for instance, you know, they get to, they're not just coming up to Mary Musgrove and and hearing her talk, you know, they're going to her Mm -hmm. trading post and they get to see the items Mm -hmm. and they get to make a trade with her and determine, well, how many of these deer skin am I going to need to get that musket that I want? And so it's really cool Mm -hmm. (laughs) and already interesting. And so it's almost like a a sneaky way to teach them because you're really (laughs) entertaining Mm -hmm. the kids. Kids, you know, but honestly, I think it's the same with an adult audience. Adults want to be entertained yeah. too. Yeah, I know? don't think it's too much different. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, you do have to watch their attention spans. Oh and, yes. Um, determine how long you need to go, or when you start letting them ask questions. And um, obviously, you guys want mm-hmm. more facts and to mm-hmm. learn to actually learn the history. And they want to know how I arrived today. Did I drive a car? Did I come in a did I, <laughs> time machine? Yes, <laughs> yes. Did I ride a horse? Um, they, they, they ask really interesting questions. And um, in my acting career, that's it's probably been the most challenging to stay in character and, and mm-hmm. answer some of their questions sometimes. But it's it's really fun. Yeah, I think that's probably the mm-hmm. maybe the biggest difference that I've experienced. You know, when you're uh, in a play, you know your lines, you know your blocking mm-hmm. and your choreography. But, you know, Richard and Nicole, they've got to change or fit the audience or mold their performance to the question. And so... Even questions that are difficult to answer, you have to get creative and using that as a launching point to uh, to answer some way, you know, uh, or admit you just don't know. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's a, it's a great question, and you know, I I encourage uh, other museums um, to explore living history. Uh, it is a challenge because to do it well, because mm-hmm. you you really have to know your information, know your research for sure. You have to have the performance and the entertainment skills to Mm -hmm. go along with that you have to consider uh the costume um especially being uh, as historically accurate as possible Uh, so there's there's so many other uh skills and knowledge and attributes that go into living history Mm -hmm. that i think make it such a special experience when it's done really well so um, we're so fortunate to have uh, richard and nicole and our team of living history interpreters um, at the northeast georgia history center and i know fort frederica has a mm-hmm. great team uh, here as well of, mm-hmm. um, of interpreters and, and performers, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Especially, you know, led by our lead ranger, Phil Officer. He has mm-hmm. the whole program. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're able to dress up the 42nd Regiment Foot. And one of the funnest things we do with kids here on a trip is, you know, we have so many different people that lived here at Fort Federica that we like to assign everyone a task. So, like, you're the bricklayer. Mm-hmm. You're the shoemaker. <laughs> you're Daniel mm-hmm. Cannon, the carpenter. Yeah. Just so, like, you know, they can kind of picture, you know, this is where you could have lived or this is what you would have done just so, you know, you can join us uh, on our living history tour. Oh, that's great. That's really, yeah, mm-hmm. that's really using their imagination uh, mm-hmm. to learn. And, and I love that. That's great. Do we have any other questions? I'm, yes. Yeah, I was really impressed with Mary Musgrove's uh, tenacity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Think of not only as a businesswoman and then helping with the interpret, but the, the issues that she had with property. Oh, yeah. find a whole mm-hmm. lot of property mm-hmm. that was uh, either given to her or that was rightfully hers. Mm-hmm. But it, it, can you speak to that at all in terms of some of your research about that? I, the trustees just didn't, I don't think they had the same vision that General Oglethorpe no. did. And actually, that's a question I have is um, you were well-respected here. Were mm-hmm. you well-respected back there with having different views you clearly had very different views than Mm -hmm. a lot of other people that came 
I, I kind of get the impression that his views kind of made him a pariah among the British aristocracy. And he was fine with that. <laughs> and speaking to Mary Musgrove's, you know, her challenges with compensation, recognition, mm-hmm. property. Uh, I mean, it is, it, it's kind of sad It's because she, she finally gets St. Catherine's Island, but she maybe lives or owns it, you know, for five-ish years or so, and late into I, her yeah. life. And then I pass and it goes on to my husband and his heirs because I didn't have any children. Mm-hmm. Right, right, that, that survived, yeah. And so, uh, to your point, though, I mean, she was an incredibly resilient mm-hmm. woman, having <laughs> having had so much tragedy affect her in her life, losing her mm-hmm. mother early on in life, losing her father when she's only, like, mm-hmm. 15 or so, losing two husbands, uh, being mm-hmm. married three times, losing children mm-hmm. uh, in their infancy, and yet... Ha- being... But a lot of wins. Yes, so, exactly, but yeah. For, for a woman, still a lot of mm-hmm. wins. Just being paid alone, um, being considered an ambassador of the Georgia colony, an official tra- uh, translator. Mm-hmm. So lots of tragedies, but lots of wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So just a, a fascinating and uh, complex life and history that um, we continue to learn more and more about. I wanted to open up, are there any last questions for us today? All right. Well, thank you again, Jared and, and Fort Frederica in general uh, for uh, allowing us to come here. And, and thank you so much to Richard and Nicole for sharing your uh, wonderful performances today. And for all of you joining us for this live episode of Then Again, I encourage all of you to take those phones out. And wherever you listen to podcasts, do join us on Then Again at the Northeast Georgia History Center. We have tons of fascinating episodes. We're actually approaching our 200th episode in the new year. So, oh, and if you want to join us and learn even more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, the fascinating artifacts that we have, our educational programs. We have our fourth annual telethon this mm-hmm. Monday um, from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Just hop on Facebook or YouTube, look up Northeast Georgia History Center. Um, our community expands far beyond uh, the Georgia mm-hmm. mountains, and so we hope that you'll also join our community and learn even more fascinating history with us. So thank you all. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Then Again is a production of the Northeast Georgia History Center in Gainesville, Georgia. Our podcast is edited by Andrews Gilles. Our digital and on-site programs are made possible by the Ada May Iyster Education Center. Please join us next week for another episode of Then Again.